Hi, I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Debbie. Okay, I could not be more excited to get right into this because our special guest today is Sherry Salata. You may recognize her as Oprah's former executive producer who's handled some of the biggest names in Hollywood over the years. And as president of Harper Studios, president of the Oprah Winfrey Network, I mean, this is a seriously accomplished woman. Sherry Salata is an author, a world-class producer, and transformation doula. And I want to get into what that is later on in our chat for sure. She's now the founder and CEO of the Support System Global Membership Group for Women. This is dedicated to transformation. Sherry's memoir, The Beautiful No, and Other Tales of Trial, Transcendence, and Transformation is an Amazon Editor's Choice Best Memoir. Joining us from Napa Valley, please welcome Sherry Salata. How are you today? Hi, Sherry. This is such a delight. Such a delight to be with you. Sherry, I just want to say before, because we have so many questions for you, but we go back many, many years, but you probably don't even remember that. So I did several guest appearances on the Oprah Winfrey show. And when you are on these shows, you're given a producer. So my level, teaching people how to paint, it was not you. But I watched you. Somebody, I said, who is that woman? And I was pointed you out and there you were dealing with Hollywood greats. And I thought that woman with that clipboard is getting it done. And then a few years ago, you came back into my life through somebody we both knew. Um, You wrote to me and said, I'm taking retreats of people around the world. And... um, can I come and see your place? So you turned up, we got on like, we went to a sheep farm for, for dinner and, and got on like a house on fire. And, you know, six months after that, there you were with your entourage of uh, followers. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here, even though you're not sitting with me with a glass of wine. I wish I was. <laughs> you're in Napa and I'm, Tommy's in Toronto and I'm in Tuscany. So answer Tommy's question. I mean, what is, you know, What's a transformation doula? Thank you. Well, here's what I found, you know, having produced everybody and watched all the thought leaders come in and out, I wouldn't call myself a teacher. What I would call myself is I'm walking the path for myself. And then I want to say who wants to come along and I'll hold Mm. your hand a little bit. And um, I've made enough mistakes in my life where I am happy for everybody to learn from mine and really kind of chart our course with the North Star that we're shifting the paradigm, the middle to the end of life. And I'm going to say for a woman, but it's true for all of us, at this place in time, there's just never been a better time to be alive. Everything's changing. Everything's Mm -hmm. possible. And sometimes you just need someone to help you believe in that. And how did all this come about? Because you wrote your book, The Beautiful No, about your journey, about yeah. jumping from this incredible, I mean, the num- probably the number one producer in the world, the cream job. Um, and I'm sure the stress level was <laughs> off the charts. Well, you know, it, listen, once you quiet yourself a little bit and you get off crazy town, which is what I felt like my life had gotten pretty crazy. It was just, I was just a stress ball. And so I had that moment, Debbie, where you're on the, what you would have thought, what I would have thought was the top of the mountain. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I'm not sure this is so great. <laughs> and, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a friend 
who was a literary agent, a fantastic one who got me a book contract. And then I went on that crazy ride for a couple of years because I was like, I don't know that I want to write a book. Why am I writing a book? This is hard. But the process was so healing to really be able to look at the totality of my life. You know, I didn't start at the Oprah show till I was 35. So I had had a ton of jobs. I had done everything. I worked in a toy store. I worked, I was a typist. I was a secretary, which is what it was back then. I worked in a 7-Eleven. I mean, I did everything. I marveled at it. I marveled at it and I thought, wow, your life at this point is a rallying cry for women in the middle of life and a cautionary tale for young women. <laughs> it's a cautionary tale. Don't don't do it. <laughs> but would you say would you say to young people don't do it or would you say, you know, because I think the whole career thing, climbing the ladder and and getting up to that peak, it, it has changed for many young people. Yeah. It's very different now. I mean, you know, the the definition of superstar has like completely flipped on its head. A real superstar now puts their self-care first. A real superstar has it together. A real superstar is doing the personal development work. A real superstar is tending to their nervous system. When I was coming up, and and I would say that anxiety of, am I going to be enough? Am I going to make it? Really that achievement coming from a place of unworthiness and mistaking achievement for worthiness. And then you get to the end of the road and you're like, why these two aren't related at all? <laughs> so I remember reading a, a Jane Fonda quote a little while ago where she said, you know, I wish, talking about regrets in life or things that you wish you'd done differently. And she said, you know, I wish I'd learned, learned sooner that the word no is a complete sentence. So Sherry, is the beautiful no about boundaries? Is that what really is where it comes from, that phrase? The beautiful no, um, it, it, and it could, because we should all have boundaries. And even at this stage of my life, I'm just getting better at that. Same here. Even just now. Yeah. Um, it, what it really is about, the, it's the title story in the memoir, and it's about how I had gotten turned down for a huge job that I really, really wanted just a short time before I got the chance to go freelance at the Oprah show. And when I got turned down, I was devastated. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I don't know what else to do. And there was something in that um, for the first time, my hands were open. I, I surrendered um, and and I, I, I could feel the grasping was over. I'm like, I just don't even know what to do. And it was a short time later, I got a call. Hey, we were digging through a closet and found your resume because I had applied years before. We found your resume. Will you come in and freelance? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> and it was years later that I realized, oh, if you had gotten that big fancy job, I was an agency producer, an advertising producer. You would have gotten that big fancy job. You weren't going to quit to go mm. take a shot and see you know, and try to freelance at the Oprah show. So what I realized is what a beautiful no. It was a yeah. beautiful no. It changed everything. Wow. Sherry, you talked um, in the book and also uh, when you were here to me over several glasses of wine, you know, about your parents being um, very um, kind of sweet people, but not wanting a fuss. 
you know, that always resonated with me because you always said, you know, it was, it was always like, don't make a fuss. You know, did that affect you in any way now? Clearly not. Um, you know, it is, it is interesting. I don't know if I told you this, Debbie, but I just went into therapy for the first time last year. First time. Congratulations. Because I was curious. Like I, I was actually going as a research project. Little did I know, right? Because I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to ask some questions. No need to dig too deeply. But um, you know what I could see? I, I, I've really come out of that with some real tenderness for my parents. I mean, they had nothing. They had no meditation. They didn't right. do yoga. They had no, no tools. training. They had no training, and they were raised by people who weren't trained. And there's, yeah. you know, all kinds of crazy business that they're trying to overcome. So um, I think my expectations of them were not matched to their level of training. And so I, I, I would tell you, I was always kind of disappointed that they weren't better at loving me, that they weren't better at really seeing me, that they weren't better at the value proposition. But now I can really see, well, why would they be? You know, yeah. there's a limited capacity when you haven't had the training. So the kindness came in. You also told me you did a workshop about um, people getting involved in other people's lives, you know, a, a cousin or a, or a friend or a child and how when you're a powerful person, you you try and rub off on them. Look, I can do it. If I did it, you can do it. Are you, you know, and you said, you know, the one thing that you've learned over time is to lower your expectations, is not to put your expectations on other people. And I think that's so true. Debbie, and even so, I mean, really, when you're over in someone else's garden, you're, you're basically, you know, trying to avoid your own stuff. Yeah. That codependent dance I did for a long time. You know, I'd rescue, I'd produce other people's problems, I'd jump in and I'd, I can fix it and, and all those things. But meanwhile, my house is on fire. So I could see that that's a, I call it my slippery character, my slippery character who says all the right things, but won't really dive in and do the work that was required and would rather go clean up somebody else's yard. So I, I've come to know that about myself. So anytime I feel that urge, I take a look at that. Where is this inspiration coming from? What are you trying to avoid? And why do you think that's your business? You know, that's another thing. I don't know what you're supposed to do. And I don't know what your soul contract is. And I don't know how you're supposed to learn it. Maybe I'm just supposed to love you and light my candles for you. Yeah. I think that really resonates with you know, certain aspects of our culture lately. And I've been sort of wanting to talk to you about this because I've recently been thinking really a lot about cocktail conversation as we've kind of reemerged back into that world after the pandemic. And I found myself thinking a lot about the way that people come up to you and they say, wow, you seem really busy. And oh my gosh, you must be so busy right now. And this busyness which seems to be the cultural benchmark for success, I started thinking to myself, like, how should I respond to this? Because my instinct is to respond, like, I'm sure what you mean is, uh, am I happy? Which I am. 
But like the level of busyness and the comparison of the level of busyness to each other seems to be very much in your, you know, sort of thought box and, and the way that you've sort of presented your later career, yeah. you know, path in yeah. terms of trying to be that kind of transformation doula. Yeah. Well, my, that used to be my middle name. She's so busy. Gosh, I spun that story over and over and just kept creating that sense of busyness. You know, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. And none of that was really true. What mm-hmm. it really was, was anxiety. Right. That was faking out, <laughs> uh, making me feel like busyness. But it was anxiety. It was like not being able to calm your motor, not being able to sit in, in a centered way. And, you know, could I have done that? Yes. Yes, I could have. You weren't too busy to do it. No, we, we have the training. The training is you need to meditate. You need to do um, modalities that calm your nervous system. You need to create space, lots of space. You need to turn off the TV and um, be comfortable sitting in silence. So listen, I got real busy when I was uh, 35. And in you know 25 years, that whole paradigm has shifted. Because now what I'm starting to see is people who are truly successful, they know the secret. It's about creating space. It's about creating a life they love, not a life that they're so busy to enjoy. They're too busy to take a moment for themselves. Yeah. And it's been, Tommy, I've really had to retrain myself. You know, even when I started my own company now for, for several, several years, and I was still doing it like reporting to my table, my desk and my laptop and can't go and walk out in the garden because it's only <laughs> 10 o'clock. You know, I still have things to do. And I'm just like, gosh, why are you imposing that old patriarchal structure on this dazzling yeah. new life you're creating? No, I'm guilty no, no. of that for sure. I know that I, I know that those are things that I have to work on, which which is why I've been waiting for this conversation to talk to you about it, because I know that you've done a bit of a deeper dive. And I do think that it's problematic that we don't have the tools to respond to people with this busyness thing. And what I try to say to people lately, I've been saying, you know, you know what? I'm not any more busy than you are, where everybody's busy. And my busy isn't more important than my sisters or my colleagues or my partners. And we're all just kind of trying to manage it as best we can. But I feel like there's another layer that's deeper than that. That's more about trying to shift the conversation to happiness and joy and away from how busy you are. Because it seems so work-related. Yeah, let's let's in this conversation come up with something for you to say. (laughs) That would be the best. (laughs) Like, don't even use that word. First of all, that's the right thing. Don't even use that right word. And listen, does it seem like that? I'm, I go for happiness first. That's a great thing to say. Sherry, do you think it's a generational thing? Because, I mean, our parents were busy putting food on the table and then relaxed at the weekend yeah. and then retired and did all that kind of stuff. Whereas now you've, you keep going and you keep going. So I don't I think tried. it was always there, was it? It's, it's this generation of super women who did it all, you know, really had it all and, and shouted it from the rooftops. And so then everybody else felt, oh, well, I better say, well, I'm busy too, even if you're just going down to the supermarket. You know, it's like a badge of honor. But then you know, we were just saying earlier, we both got puppies and I've got a really tiny puppy and you literally cannot do, I mean, I've only had him like a few days. You cannot do all that stuff 
with this bundle eating everything, running around you, can pull a cord any minute, and you have to put it all down. And you have to go for that little walk. And you have to, you know, sit and stroke him, you know, for half an hour. And your your blood pressure goes down. Everything kind of moves into place. And you're thinking, this is more fun. You know, the other stuff you still have to do, but you have to. You, I'm forced yeah. to put all that stuff aside and let it wait. And I actually now find it... Like you say, it's changing where it's kind of cool to say, no, nah, I read a book today and, you know, sat on the hammock. He's your little shaman who's creating creating presence and mindfulness. And you got to be in the now with the puppy. That's for sure. I do think it's generational, Debbie, in, in answer to that. I think it's gen- I think we're overcoming um, a structure that we were all born into. And we were raised and trained into it's crumbling around us because it no longer fits the the energetic container that's evolving. It just doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't feel right on us. It's like clothes that don't fit. It just doesn't fit. I remember saying to a to an older relative once, um, this is years ago in the middle of all the, the bedlam, and I said, Oh yeah, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And by the time I took a breath, she said, She said, Oh, I'm so sorry, poor you. And I'm like, no, I was showing off. <laughs> I was <laughs> telling her everything I was doing. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I have to go back and prune my roses. And I'm like, oh, how boring. But now that's what everybody wants. I've only ever had female bosses. And I've always worked with between 12 and 16 women. As we all aged into families and, and having families and things like that, and I didn't, I was an observer. I, I was always like the only man, the only gay guy in a world of, of women. And what I observed over years and years was that this conversation about she can have it all, you know, that sort of almost false promise in some ways that you can have this incredibly huge career and also this epic family life at home. Because what I observed with the women that I was close to, and they were very diverse and lots of different kinds of women from, you know, all different places, something was always suffering. And their pain was really derived from the fact that if they weren't at work, somebody was upset at home. And if they weren't at home, somebody was upset at work. And this was not self-imposed. I, I think, well, in some ways, we all make our own choices and things. But still, I think most of it was that social construct and that world that we're talking about being born into that tells you you have to be a certain way. Like, how does a person who's a working woman with a family, you know, find a path towards these kinds of balances and boundaries? Well, um, and again, I don't have human children, so it gives me a Mm -hmm. different perspective. You know, I'm not defending anything. And I just always like to be aware of that, even for, you know, the situations where I do have that, I always like to be aware of what are you defending, Sherry? What are you, what are you protecting? What don't you really want to see? And I, I guess here, here's my observation of that, that the possibility of having this big, gigantic Mongo career came without a new negotiation of what was expected at home and who was doing what. That's interesting. So what I saw was that women who were going for it career-wise, and there wasn't a new paradigm for um, being a wife and a mother mm-hmm. and having a family. Now, in my view, and you know, I always try to remember this for myself and see if this lands, that evolution is a very messy process. 
It isn't like woo hoo hoo hoo, <laughs> rise, 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 rise. You know, it's up, it's back. It's you know, we can see that in, in America for sure. Like you make some progress, then it goes to hell in a handbasket, and then you got to make break through some more. It is a messy, messy process, and the same is true as these paradigms and old structures change as well. Now I notice and watch. I don't know about you guys, but my dad was at the office. He wasn't at school for the play. He wasn't at school Mm -hmm. for the singing concert. He was at the office. And I mean, if there was ever anything on a weekend and he wasn't golfing or doing something else, like he was unavailable. That's very different now. You can start to see that change that, you know, I had tons of men working for me and they'd give me all their dates they had to be at school. But what's going to happen is that those negotiations Mm -hmm. are going to change at home what the expectation is, the cultural guilt that's laid on a woman that she's not, you know, baking cookies all day and and staying at home with her kids is shifting as she begins to see that her children can be bettered for watching her growth, her own growth and evolution and having a life of her own outside of them. So, I think all that's all that's going on. And you know, I work with women who are in the middle of life who have gotten through a lot of that, where their kids are raised and out of the house. And you know what they're dealing with? Oh my God, I didn't do enough. Mm. Is this all there is? Wow. Like their kids are gone. They've gone off to lead their own lives. And you're sitting there. You haven't made yourself a priority. You haven't done the things you wanted to do. And you're like staring down the barrel of 30 more years now. You know, we used to die at 47. Now you're staring down the barrel of 30 more years that you've got a plan and program. Yeah. And you might still have to work for money. And you're like, oh my God, what am I doing now? So it's the the wake up call and the invitation at the same time. Hold tight. Be right back. This episode sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Tommy Smythe here. Thank God I have a few minutes to myself without my co-host. <laughs> I mean, you've been there. You've been overwhelmed before too. I think most people carry around some kind of stress. And here at the Trust Me Pod, it's, Debbie, did you put your devices on Do Not Disturb? Debbie, do you have your microphone? <laughs> and when we have a guest, I just hope to get in one little question. Listen. Sometimes it's hard to keep all your feelings all bottled up because you know what happens when you do. It bubbles over, you lose your cool, and maybe you take it out on someone you love. Obviously, I love Debbie. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Whether you're in Toronto or Tuscany, BetterHelp will fit your schedule. Get it off your chest. Visit betterhelp.com slash decorator to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash decorator. A big part of design and decoration for us, and everyone really, is putting your memories on display. When my children went away to camp, it was the first time we'd kind of not been together, and they both wrote me letters, and they were probably eight and nine years old, and they are the funniest letters, and I framed them, put them up on the wall, and I see them every day, and sometimes if I feel a bit down, I just read those letters, mostly asking me for more candy, but I think framing a letter is a wonderful thing. 
That is why we love the idea of FrameBridge. They honestly make it so easy to get anything framed, and they're really, truly affordable. It's easy to do in person at one of their 20 FrameBridge retail stores, and... It's so easy to order online at FrameBridge.com. You just upload a photo for them to print. Picking the frame was really easy, but also really hard because there were so many options. I went for walnut, which is a solid walnut frame, but I think next time I'll go for Florence and they'll mail it to you using their free, secure, prepaid packaging service. FrameBridge has been trusted to frame millions of our memories. Visit FrameBridge.com or a local FrameBridge store. You can custom frame just about anything. Again, that's FrameBridge.com. It's also you have to look good because now you've got, you know, people like, I don't know, Jane Fonda, you know, looking amazing in their 80s. And somebody said the other day, But you can look good. It is a decision. That's a decision. Exactly. But but is it also a stress on people? Like, I need to be, you know, I, I need to still go to the gym. I'm 75. I'm, you know, so are we loading stuff onto people, you know, as we've got more li- years to live? But you get to decide. You get to decide. And that's, you know, one of the gifts of growing older is I'm circling around the drain of this thought. I really am not going to do anything I don't want to do anymore. Mm. I'm just really not going to do anything I don't want to do anymore. So, you know, listen, if you don't care, then you don't care. That's the other beautiful no, isn't it? Really? Maybe that's your next book. You're welcome. (laughs) That's right. The other other beautiful beautiful no. no. (laughs) Um, What I tend to see, Debbie, (laughs) is that women who are uh, into their own beauty and into their own power and into their own limitlessness and possibilities are way happier than women who are like, who cares? Uh, That's what I tend to see. And so, um, you know, women who go to the gym at 75 feel better, are more embodied and are more enjoying their life experience than women who aren't. Or women who are, I mean, I get a lot of messages saying I'm I'm living my life through you. And that upsets me because you just want to reach out and say, do your own thing. You know, start whatever you want. Do all the things that you dreamt about when you were young. Um, but do it in it. It doesn't have to be about, at a certain age, about making a fortune. It, it has to be about fulfilling those creative juices. Yeah. The better compliment to you, the one you would appreciate, is I'm so inspired by you and your life, Debbie. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's one of the things I think you and Francis just so have in common. And it doesn't mean that you have to go build, you know, redo a property in Italy, although that looks fun. <laughs> Continuing to pull the life force through you where you're still creating, you're still innovating, you're still interested. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I find myself, I'm just not fit for my old social life anymore. I can't just yickety yak about anything. I really want to talk mm-hmm. about things. I want to talk about happiness and yeah. busyness and what else and and curiosity. I, I find a lot of people aren't curious. You know, if you're curious, like you say, you don't have to build a house in Italy. But and you were talking about Francis Mays under the Sussex Sun, but curiosity and and I see that in women. They don't see it. It's like they're not seeing the today. And so I think it's opening up the curiosity of a child, the the person you used to be. Yeah, the curiosity and really stop the complaining contest. There's a great deal of that. I say you cannot complain your way to the life of your dreams. You cannot. And that's just a habit. Amen. That's just a habit. 
That's just a worn groove of, you know, let's get together and have a contest about whose life is more difficult and who's had, having a harder time. That's not the way. That's not the way. And it's so boring. It's so boring. Oh, it's so boring. And you know what? You can feel that. You can feel that when you're around people. Ugh. Your own energy starts to drop. And that is the greatest spiritual teaching I ever heard is from Abraham Hicks, and it's manage your mood. Amazing, yeah. You know, manage your mood. Manage your vibration. You want the good stuff? Emit the good stuff. And uh, so, and, and so that's a real practice. And one to break. Yeah, you talk, um, when I sat in on some of your workshops, which I thought was really brilliant about going through a portal, because, uh, you know, we've all got people we know who are, they've gone through divorce, they've gone through dreadful things, and sometimes they're on that groove, that broken record going around and around and around. And until you actually, you know, go through that doorway, that portal, nothing's going to happen because you're just going to go on and on about it. Yeah. You're talking about people who are still talking about their divorce that happened 20 years ago. And that's how, <laughs> yeah. you know, tell me about yourself. I'm divorced. I'm like, oh my God. Is that what, is that, is that your first go-to? You're going to lead with that? I think I need portal rejuvenation surgery. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me give you a little, I'm going to give you a little taste of the portal. So if you look at any area in your life and there's something that is a little crunchy, like you don't have it locked. It doesn't feel like it's smooth. It's not in flow. It's not easy. You don't find it. Doesn't have to be perfect, but you don't. You don't feel like it's on an upswing. It's a portal of opportunity. And when you walk through that portal of opportunity, it's like if you can begin to get tender with yourself and kind of understand how you've landed in this in this space in this area. And how you can begin to kind of dream about a new version of this area of your life. Then you're walking through the portal. You're just being real. You're being gentle with yourself. You're understanding, you know, we're, we're human. You understand, oh, I see how I've got that pattern. I see how I've been closed down to that. I see how I haven't been able to see that for myself. And now if I go through that portal, I'm beginning to imagine a new version, a new possibility, a new edge. And all of a sudden you've got energy there. And that energy starts to manifest things and possibilities and conversations. And so it's it's kind of like taking something that you kind of like put in a drawer. You're like, I can't figure that out. And you kind of bring it out and you put new life into it. And workshop it a little bit. You have a very beautiful way, Sherry, of like not really teaching, but just suggesting ways of doing things. And I think that that is such an easy way to absorb information for people. You're obviously very talented at that. I love the way that, you know, these are all just tools. You can either pick them up and use them and apply them, or you yeah. can leave them laying there. And I think that's really important. Well, listen, here's what I, because I, I, I got to be watching my slippery character at all times. And it's something <laughs> that, I, that I saw you know, I had a I had a front row seat and I saw this a lot where there are very few real teachers on the planet, like real teachers, like mm -hmm. they've been to the mountain, they have enlightenment and they can speak from that place. The rest of us need to speak from our own experience and from the position that we're still on the path. We still have our own portals to walk through um, 
And I can tell you what I know, but I'm still figuring it out. I'm still excavating that knowing. And I feel like that just keeps it real, you know? Amen. It does. Do people find it difficult? Because I know you've got followers who've been with you for years to, to, yeah. to head off through that portal and start again or to rebuild. Listen, I think we're all waiting for a little inspiration and excitement. I think we all want to be more excited about our lives in, in a genuine, deep way where we can see, oh, I do some practicing. You know, that trajectory thing is magic. You, you make a couple little changes, you end up in a completely different place. You know, you can mm-hmm. use the math to dazzle yourself. So I think what I really like to see is when somebody has disappointed themselves so much, they just can't get up for anything. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm No, I'm not going to stick to it. I know it's not going to get any better. And life has become a bit of a drudgery. Once they start to get a hold of a little, little piece of hope, a little stir in the pot of hope, a little possibility, a little like, well, maybe I could, their whole energetic system changes. All of a sudden, their perspective changes. All of a sudden, possibilities are popping up. And nothing makes me happier than that. I'm often between both worlds, you know, and that's what we got to do for ourselves. We got to keep reminding ourselves what a brilliant, beautiful story this life experience is. Mm-hmm. It's magic. And there are the mystical threads that, that have brought us together to have this conversation and, and brought your listeners in to participate in this conversation with us. Who's putting this all together? It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty. It is pretty. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna all leave this conversation, and our energy will be changed because of it. I mean, this is a really, really miraculous human experience, and it's only us that starts to feel dulled to it. Mm. And it's within our power to wake up. Beautiful. What would you want listeners to to take away from this? I mean. Do you want to shake them and say, right, get out there, start some gardening, do something? Or I know you've hit virtually everybody listening is is taking something from this that they can relate to because it relates to all of us, all of us, even the ones that you think are living this wonderful life. We're all trying to get that joy level up and that day-to-day serenity and calm and, and, and happiness. So Mrs. Smith, who's sitting you know, listening to this at her home in wherever. She's in Regina. She's in Regina. Regina. <laughs> Listen, my grandmother's from love Regina. That. How about I love that? that? I'm Canadian. We'll take you. We want you. Yes. Here's what I think, what I think works the best is grab a piece of paper and come up with seven to 10 little practices that you could do that you could do every day for the rest of your life if you had to. Here's what I mean by that. Can you start with one glass of filtered water a day? Just one. Can you start with walking around the block one time? Not three miles, just one time. Can you open your day in the morning, lighting a candle? Doesn't have to be an expensive candle. Hands on your heart. Three things that are working three things that are working in your life. Acknowledge it. Think about it. Hands on your heart. Little pat. Couple deep breaths. 
Simple, simple, simple. Can you end your day? I love, I call it turn down service. Go into your bedroom an hour before, pull down your quilt, dim the lights, close the curtains, light a candle, get things ready so you can go in and feel cared for when you end your day. Can you bring a little quality of reverence to your day with simple, simple, simple things that you can do forever and just start there and then just watch what happens? How do you feel? Do you feel a little bit more love? Do you feel a little bit more cared for? Do you feel a little bit more reverent to your life experience? Do you feel a little um, more sense of possibility? And just start there. Don't climb Everest. Just start there. And then pretty soon, then you decide, what do I want to add to this? Because practice, those are the bones of the new life you say you want. You cannot get there without practicing. If there was another way, I would tell you. There is not another way besides putting practices in your life and really moments where you can come to presence. Otherwise, they're like calendars, calendar pages, cartoon calendar pages flying off the wall. And next thing you know, you've lost three years to unconsciousness. Wow. So getting that pre- those practices in so you begin to live that more conscious life, those are the keys. Those are the keys to everything. I love what you say. Everybody's got their pen and paper ready. That's amazing. Beautiful. I always have one. I always have a big, huge notebook. Always, yeah. And you do have very large notebooks. So how, how do people get kind of into your world? I have to tell you, I meet people every day who are your followers from around the world um, who write to me saying, can you get me in with Sherry? <laughs> you know, uh, I'm from Sweden. My website, my website. We have women from all over the world, sherrysalata.com. And you can find all the things I'm doing. I do a digital course. I'm going to start one again in July. Um, I do that twice a year for 12 weeks. I have a, you know, a year round membership group for women. I'm getting ready to take a group to Africa, Deb. I'm going on safari in a couple of days. So sherrysalata.com, I put everything I'm doing on there. But I've also been on some, these words of wisdom that I just, they just leave, leave you, I'm just lying there thinking, oh, well, I'll put Sherry on and see if I can doze off. Not to be rude, but but then, you know, <laughs> but uh, there yeah. I am grabbing a phone or, you know, to give it, sending myself messages yeah. or writing stuff down. So people can also go onto these events when you, when you hold them. Yeah, it's the, the support system. The support system is, I think it's the best thing I've ever produced by far. Um, there's women from all over the world and um, we have events and gatherings and it's the miracle. It's that, it's that Zoom miracle. It's the miracle of, of what we're doing right now. Um, the miracle of technology that we can come together to have these conversations and that we can leave inspired and, and ready to go and with new ideas. And I'm going to try that. And that sounds great. And just a reminder, that's why we have these conversations because we forget. We forget. We forget. And then we're like, why am I feeling so glum? Because I forgot. I forgot the magic. And if you want to live in the magic, you've got to program it. You got to make sure that your life is programmed and calendarized to have 
these kinds of conversations, to do this kind of work, to give yourself space so the magic can find you. Well, thank you, because this has been incredibly helpful, I think, for me, certainly, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, having you share your tools and your experiences, sharing is everything. I mean, it's how Debbie and I got into media and, and, and public lives in the first place was a desire, a compulsion to share. I always, I always say about Debbie, she is a compulsive sharer. And she shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and sharing all of it, not just the good things, really actually is where we, I think, help people and, and humanize ourselves so that we can actually be on an equal plane with absolutely anyone we encounter. So thank you, Sherry, for that. And Sherry, I can't thank you enough. It's just, you always blow me away. It's so interesting and, and just so inspiring. So hopefully we will see you soon. I think you're going to come and visit me in October when you come yeah, to Umbria. I should be there in September. I'll, I'll let you know when I'm going to be there. Tommy, what a delight to meet you. Likewise, this conversation has confirmed a long-held suspicion of mine, which is that two successful women in a card-carrying gay, if they can't solve your problems, who can? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's been a delight for me to meet you too. Thanks, Sherry. See you very soon. Bye, my friend. For everyone who's listening, don't forget that we will have details about Sherry, her website, and her book in the episode notes. I'm Sarah Burke, and I host the Women in Media podcast, where I'm exploring the challenges women face in the media spotlight and celebrating our triumphs. My guests come from radio, TV, news, and sports, and we'll cover topics like leadership, diversity, stereotypes, and more. Most of all, I'm looking to build a community through a space where we can discuss anything. The Women in Media podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womeninmedia.ca. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.